So tonight I'd like to offer a few reflections about another of the aspects of love, another quality of love, um, of our nature. I don't think people always think of this as a quality of love. And some of you will have more or less familiarity with this quality. <clears throat> um, so, before I say it, the name of it, I just want you to sense into where you are right now. And as I tell you the aspect of love we're going to look at, I want you to notice your response. All right? Verbal response, heart response, any response. Now look a little bit into joy. To joy. Yeah. Anyone want to say what their response is? Either felt, word, not not a big sentence, just like a word or two. Big smile. Big smile, relief. Yeah. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Ecstasy. Ecstasy. At the word or the experience? Experience. Uh huh. Okay. Ecstasy. Hope. Hope. Pause. Pause. Yeah. Let's wait and see. <laughs> yeah. Explosion and very pleasant sensations and heat all over me. Oh. Like I'm about to explode. Ah, yes, that can sometimes happen with joy. <laughs> you see it particularly in the, uh, not just meditators, but sometimes in small children, right? Because they really do explode when they're feeling joyful. <laughs> they have to. They don't have another option. Selma has another option. <laughs> but something explodes. Something internally. Little, the little one has to move around with it. When you're three and you're happy... The world's got to know about it, right? <laughs> Cartwheels, <sighs> jumping around, a lot of movement. And it's beautiful. And as we, so, and sometimes you might notice that on retreat may not be that full for you, full on. Um, but if you do notice a lot of energy that, that feels really happy and, it, and you're kind of looking around, why, why is everyone so serious? Why don't we just have a party? And <laughs> you can sort of feel that. This is so good. Um, that there you, you might want to give yourself a lot of room, feel your feet under, and let it work on you on the inside. Let that explosion and that movement happen internally. That way, actually, it, it, it works on us. It's actually hard to bear <laughs> in a funny kind of way. To really let that work on us so that it on doesn't only get that channel, you know, and the little one, it has that channel, the vertical channel. Feel it, and then, blah, either verbal or, right? So here we let the joy, when it arises, work on us, and it can open up many more possibilities. Anything else arise? A cow laying across. A cow, okay, an image of a cow. Uh -huh. Anyone go, oh no, not joy. It's probably harder to say that, isn't it? Like you'd be a party pooper if you said that at this point. But that can also arise. So I just want to point that out as I talk and offer reflections. <coughs> um, it's beautiful, and if, if joy arises, yes, enjoy it. Like with any of the Brahma Viharas, any of the divine abidings, when we orient to one, 
very often what appears to be the opposite can arise. So if while I'm talking about joy you feel more depressed or more sad, please don't push that away. Sometimes the orienting to this quality can make us feel the sorrow of the loss of contact with the joy that we are. And that's part of being on the way to letting the heart um, open, actually. Unless, of course, we make a little story about that and then we cycle around that again and again. But let's see, there's a lot There's a lot to say. I brought lots of stories and poems and I won't read them all. Um, but if I forget, this is the one I for sure want to read. It's on my right-hand side. <clears throat> okay. So joy is the aspect of love that has to do with delight. Delighting. And sometimes, like Sama said, it can have a very full <coughs> um, energetic expression from the heart. Sometimes it can be really, 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 really quiet. Really quiet. Sometimes it can be like um, bubbles, like champagne, it has that bubbling quality. Small bubbles come up the bottle. Sometimes it's like still water. The joy can be very, very quiet and deepen us into more and more stillness. But it still has that sort of quality of the lightness in it. course the um, we want the happiness and the joy I mean probably you know everybody here is interested in happiness and joy even if we don't think it's possible for us we're interested in it and to find out about it something important for a human being <coughs> about kind of trying to find well, how do you get it how do you get it and that's in a way where a lot of our struggle goes it's like we want the happiness we know there's something right about happiness but every avenue I try to have that happiness and lightness of being it seems to backfire it's like I, the more and more I go outside of myself to look for that joy in the other person in the experience in the thing the further away I seem to get and that simple reason for that is because joy isn't something we can do joy isn't something that we can effort towards joy isn't something that we can get because it's what we are. Because it's what we are. And as we work with the shedding aspect, the um, letting some of our structures and our heavinesses and our contractions and our stodginess. Often many people more identify with themselves as the the dense, the density in terms of the heaviness. You know, let's say you have heavy mind states 
Well, you've experienced that a lot in your life, a lot of heaviness or thick, dense. And we tend to think, well, that's, that's who I am. The lightness stuff isn't really real. Actually, it's the heaviness part that's really real. But as we work with those, as we can start to be mindful of the heaviness, um, meet the heaviness with the allowing, start to see its nature, that it actually does shift, comes and goes. It, it takes form and the conditions change and it changes. We realize we're not the heaviness. The heaviness is something that is constructed, actually. We can talk about any form being constructed, the joy also, but it's a much, 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 much more subtle thing. It's much closer to our nature, the joy. It's, it's, we, I think it would be absolutely fair to say it is an aspect of our nature. If you think of the Buddha, the, um, he was known as the happy one. He wasn't known as the, the serious dukkha guy. <laughs> you know, we can get that impression because his doorway and his avenue for helping us wake up was via the suffering, via the separating, via the way that we do that and we don't know how we get into that. That was his brilliance, pointing to that doorway. But it's not what his teaching is about teaching is about the liberation the teaching is about the freedom from that the teaching is about the happiness the highest happiness and the highest happiness is called peace and there's a big relationship between peace and joy in fact there was a beautiful resident teacher before rob he's rob's been here ages now six years or something before yeah something like that yeah before that was bodhidharma some of you know bodhidharma and he had his retreats up here as a monk, a um, lovely guy. And um, if probably you knew it if you were a yogi, but if you're on staff here, you'd know it as well. And his little kind of, as he walked around the house, he'd go, Hello, Catherine, peace and joy. He's <laughs> 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 coming from Manchester. Um, so there's this, this, yeah, this strong relationship in our heart that we recognize, in spiritual life that we recognize between the peace and the joy. And that was his kind of prayer, his remembrance. As he, as, I think he still does it, sciences. He either says, onward, <laughs> or he says, peace and joy. Yeah. He's wonderful, isn't he? He is wonderful. Yeah. So those of you that know him, and as Jane says, that just feel into what's there when we just bring him to mind, right? Feel into the heart. And even though those who don't know him, you might feel it anyway <laughs> as we talk about him. It's actually one of his qualities. You can really feel it in him, the joy. Right? Just feel what's here as you think of him. Did you feel the room kind of lighten as we named him? Yeah. So the lightness, the joy, isn't apart from our steadfastness and our seriousness and our committed endeavor. Often they seem to get split apart for, from people. And I mean, now I'm talking about, and I was going to talk about Bodhidharma, I'm sure he won't mind. But you can see it, the commitment, the steadfastness, mm. you know, the dedication. Sometimes we think, well, that means this work is really damn serious. Right? And... 
the joy belongs to oh, that's the that's the that's the fluffy stuff the joys you know not the real stuff the joys the you know the don't worry be happy school and not taken so seriously but there's something very real about where those qualities are not at all separate where they are where they come home or where they come from we could say so some of us can be suspicious about joy. It probably depends on our backgrounds and our, um, yeah, that it's not the real thing. Suffering is the real thing. Joy is for lightweights. <laughs> Anyone have that? You know, my practice is only going really well when it's hard. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes that's really important. It's where we need to be. Not necessarily evidence of anything. In fact, when we are working with something difficult, let's say, you know, you wake up one of these days here and you just feel stodgy and thick and dense and you want to go home and you felt happy yesterday, but it's just all kind of blur. Um, often what happens is the way we meet that then is of the same quality. Have you ever noticed that? It's like we meet the heaviness with more heaviness. Mm. It's like, oh, it's heavy, right, mindfulness, mindfulness first. <laughs> 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 it's like kind of weight lifting. And, uh, <laughs> like it's really heavy. And, you know, I, I absolutely don't want to... I mean, it's funny today, right? But sometimes it's really not funny. It's really, a, it's really hard, bloody work. Right. What we can start to see as we get a little bit more trust in the lighter aspects, right? Lighter doesn't mean it lacks depth, and I think that's the interesting thing. Um, as we get more trust in the light quality of touch, we can meet the heaviness, the thickness, the, co- the, the congealed quality of the chitta at times with a light touch. And that's what's interesting, Right? that the, the, the stodginess is not wrong. But sometimes we can get a sense that, yeah, that, okay, that's, that's there. That seems to be present right now. And what does it mean to meet that with a light touch? We've talked about the gentle touch, the kindness, the compassion, mm. the not me, not mine. The lightness of touch. what happens if we take this work too seriously in a way and we do take it seriously of course you do you signed up for 20 days you're serious right but if we then make it become um, whatever that looks like in our history background sense of ourselves, that if you're committed to something it means you lock down roll your sleeves up, or whatever you do. So it might be different. It might be, um, you know, uh, I remember one nice metaphor one of my teachers used. He said, yeah, probably what inspires you, at least some of the time, is you're interested to find out about truth and freedom. And, right? It has, a, has an energy with it. Sure, we might be desperate sometimes and all of that. 
But there's an interest, there's something that's drawn, something we recognise as true, and we're drawn to that, and there's something the heart responds to in teachings, or else you'd never have signed up for a 20-day retreat. We respond to the something that feels true. But then, because we do need the commitment, we kind of, um, the metaphor is something like, you know, consider the uh, young scientist or something. Did you see all those young people that were here? Yeah. Mm. Am I great? <laughs> Not that you're all really old. <laughs> How was that to see those guys here? Yeah. yeah. That kind of bring gladness to anybody's heart? Yeah. Yeah. It's like delighting in each other's journeys, actually. You know, delighting in that. Yes, yeah, take a breath. I saw some of them ambling through the corridors. Just feel into that. Breathe into what's here when you think of those guys that were here for the weekend. Any, anyone, what does anyone notice? Not that there's a right experience you should be having. That cuts the joy, that view. Remember that view? There's, a, there's an experience I should be having other than this one. That completely puts all joy in the basement. But anyone want to say what's here when you just remember those young guys and girls here? What's here when I am touched. Mm-hmm. You can feel that. I just really, mm-hmm. yeah, it was really, yeah. I had many moments of... <laughs> <laughs> so something here, and something here is touched. Yeah. Can you feel that now? Do you name it? Just uh, in the heart, the heart opening, and mm-hmm. really... A sense of sense of kind of recognition of the journey and the wow, wow, yeah, the wow wow part. Yeah, the wow is associated with joy. Mm -hmm. A friend of mine's little son. It was seemed like it was the first word in his vocabulary about one, one and a half ish. When you start to get one word, he used to go around. (laughs) <laughs> I think he, yeah, his dad was a bit of a hippie, but he's kind of, <laughs> kind of walking. Yeah. Anyone else say what happened when you thought of the young people? Uh, yeah. My, my room overlooks his bird table at the front, by the manager's. Uh, I know that one, yeah. And they remind me of birds. The young they're people. Sort of cute. <laughs> 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 I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and what happened to you when you perceived that? Which is which is a, an aspect that we tend to think gets left behind somewhere in our youth, the kind of the excitement, the cuteness, the, the lightness. What happened for you when you perceived that? <coughs> what does it do now as you reflect on it? I felt very warm towards them. Right, so warmth showed up, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's Anybody else? As either then or now, yeah. I just, I think I felt a lot of sweetness. Sweetness in the heart. It's really sweet. Yeah. No. Not in a over sugary kind of way. (laughs) 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 Is that what you mean? (laughs) Sorry, what were you going to say? No, I guess, thanks. That's it. Not in that, yeah, just in that kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can feel your our own sweetness, the aspect of sweetness that we can probably 
see there also. There is a poem here. Not that these people were children. I think, what, what's the age for this retreat? 16 to 25. 16 to 25? Okay, something like that. Actually, this poem I found today. The way wings should, it says. So there's the bird metaphor. And the, um, it says, what will our children do in the morning? Will they wake up with their hearts wanting to play? The way wings should. Will they have dreamed the needed flights and gathered the strength from the planets that all men and women need to balance the wonderful charms of the earth? So that her power and beauty does not make us forget our own. I know all about the ways of the heart, how it wants to be alive. Love so needs to love that it will endure almost anything, even abuse, just to flicker for a moment. But the sky's mouth is kind. Its song will never hurt you, for I sing those words. What will our children do in the morning if they do not see us fly? What will our children do in the morning if they do not see us fly? And I think that's where sometimes the quality of joy can get split. Sometimes maybe you remember as being a child and, you know, sometimes those adults look so boring. Mm. <laughs> Anyone ever have that? <laughs> They're so dull. <laughs> They're so stodgy. Yeah, they might be committed or... But, you know, come on. Come and play with me. Like lambs and sheep, yeah. Have you have you seen them? That moment they're all here for us, yeah. They're so different. <laughs> Those sheep need to do a bit of practice. <laughs> oh, yeah. But that spring springing quality, the lightness of the touch there, in the, in what gets associated with youth, and then can get left behind in youth. But it doesn't belong to youth. It belongs to our nature. I was brought up with a lot of very playful, joyful adults. Okay, good. And what happens if you remember that just now? Oh, it's nice. Yeah. Yes, no, we can't give adults all a hard time. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. But it's in our, in our attempt to, you know, when we have to have compassion for ourselves there where we lock down because it's the way we know, we we. For some of us, it's the only way we know how to try and navigate the world with its responsibilities and commitments. Yeah. Someone else going to say something? Only, well, a question in my mind is, why can't we run around like children? Do you want to, Julia? <laughs> Feel that. <laughs> Feel that. that. If, if you would be willing to be the experimenter, just breathe into that. Breathe right there. What's here when you say that? It's like, I want to have that freedom. Not all kids have that. It gets somewhere. But feel that place in you that wants that. Right? Where are you noticing it? Feel where that's coming from in you. From my tummy, then it rises. Okay, so just make some room for that for a second. The energy of it. 
What do you notice happens as you make room for it? Yeah, it quiet things, but, mm-hmm. it, but it doesn't become less. It just okay. It's a different shape, I'd say. Okay, beautiful. So quiet just follow that. That's part. That's part of our maturing with joy. Also, I feel that some we have to recover that part that wants, like that knows it's part mm-hmm. of our nature, and it may have a child quality. It's beautiful. Let it be there, and feel it, and let it take the shape that fits you. And then you can run around. If you come to the family <laughs> retreat. <laughs> Always looking for helpers. Yeah. Yeah. I did that yesterday. What? I had this mad urge to skip like a child. Mm-hmm. And I looked around very quickly. <laughs> 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 I was on the lane coming back and I looked around. And then I skipped all the way. Which was hungry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Really good. Yeah, oh, absolutely wholesome, beneficial, yeah. all of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, recovering our capacity to play mm-hmm. also. Splashing in puddles. Mm. Recovering our capacity to play whatever that might look like for us. So just let's consider that for a moment. Where's and how does that show up for you? It might be physically, it might be as we bring it into the practice, what that looks like, the, the capacity of curiosity, for example, which is very closely associated with joy, mm-hmm. to be able to be curious. Right? How, how are you with that aspect, curiousness? Mm-hmm. For me, a bit obsessive with it. It's nearly uh-huh. distracting, and I have a cloud making jokes in my head all the time. Okay, very good. So there's the part where it, all these things are about, there's a balance, right? We may have suppressed our joy, but then the other side is, whoops, it becomes a bit, what was your word? Obsessive. Yeah. We can, there's the, where the curiosity kills the cat part, where that metaphor, that, whatever you call that, comes from, right? Where the curiosity can kind of spill over, it's not balanced with the calm. And the equanimity, and the, and then it's kind of like constantly here for three days, kind of cracking jokes at every sitting, you know, in our head. Yeah. We get tired of it in a, in, a, in a way, yeah. Yeah, so how about curiosity? Could be obsessive. Because the thing with joy, that another one of the fears with joy is that when it's ungrounded, you know, when we have energy arise and it comes through the heart and it moves up into the head centre and it's ungrounded, it can be associated with more the sort of manic side of things, you know, where we kind of lose the ground, actually. So there's always a, a balancing for us, but, but to not be scared of our own joy also. Right? Curiosity, um, let's read you a little bit. My teacher says about curiosity... It's like there's, um, you know, talking about the head as well in, in some of the kind of insights and realizations that they feel it's like a, um, you know, a mental joy. Yes. Or, or, you yeah. Know, kind of an excitement that mm. can be quite, as you say, it can be quite agitating, but if it's kind of recognized as just a lot of energy in the head. Yes. So, beautiful. So here's the thing. Something about discovering more truth at this level, 
at this level, at this, any level, it delights us. It brings joy. It's like we're getting closer to what we love. Right? There's, a, there's a joy in it, and yes, it could be if we're kind of spinning with that for ages, it may be agitating, but actually it's natural that it's going to open, can open out the head centre a little bit. You know, the head centre is definitely part of this practice. In fact, you know, if you give it room, let's say something suddenly gets clear to you, and it's kind of in line with your practice, sometimes you might experience the head centre opening a little bit. Um, and if you think of religious iconography in lots of cultures that have it, you know, you see on the pictures of the saints and the sages, which are, don't forget, ordinary human beings, right? They may have, you know, gone far in their path or whatever. You often see the uh, halo aspect, mm-hmm. right? The, the radiance, the yellow quality um, around the head center. Sometimes it's depicted around the whole body. The Buddha has it in a certain iconography as well. You know, the radiance of our nature and the kind of golden quality of coming closer to more truth is something true about it, right? It brings a lot of joy. So here's what... I hope I bought the right thing. Oh, I didn't. <laughs> oh, well. Next time. Next time with that one. So if you think about curiosity, when you're curious about something you're exploring on any level, there's a, a lot of joy in the curiosity itself. Right? The, in a way, if you think again of the child, it's very natural for the curiosity to be there. You know, it's, they don't even have to have the cognition yet, actually. So even pre-cognitive babies, the curiosity is there, whether they're kind of exploring their little fingers or or once they get ambulant and they can kind of stick their face in the flower or pour the water in the cup and keep pouring the water in the cup and it fills and spills all over the cup and it's wow you know that kind of curiosity has its own joy in the discovery it's like there's something about us that is we could say designed to learn and discover to play and play is a big part of that learning how we get to learn about the world actually how it works what happens if I pour this water in this cup oh it's very cool and then mummy says stop you know because it's all over the floor so we get to learn So, I don't think I finished that metaphor, did I? About go is yeah. So the yeah, like the young scientists. That's when I got off to that <laughs> streak about the young people. The young scientists explore. You know that the young boy or girl, they love kind of taking things apart or whatever is the thing that turns them on with their exploration, and they. It's got a lot of joy in it, all of that. Right? A lot of awe. It's like, how does this thing work? You know, whatever we're doing. And then, you know, they might go on to college, university, and hopefully that joy stays. But sometimes it doesn't. And then it might be that by the time they're 40, they're kind of putting on their overcoat every morning to go to the research lab, and it's like, oh, God. You know, 
here we go, this is what I do. And it's, and it's got that heavy overcoat feeling to it that we go to work to dis- to, to, because we have to. And it can be like that coming into the meditation hall. Anybody notice that? Sometimes when the bell rings, like, all right, overcoat comes on, briefcase. <laughs> it's, it's the 12.30 to, you know, it's the 2.30 to, you know, dukkha. <laughs> and there I go and I kind of walk into the room as this heavy thing and right and then I wonder why it's so hard right what is it that you're curious about what delights your heart what do you want to discover what do you want to discover and re- reflecting on that can support us and outside of a retreat we can genuinely uh, genu- genuinely of course um, can be useful to engage in things that support our creativity, our joy, our something that lights us up, something that uplifts the heart. Whether that's a formal form of play, right, that may or may not be relevant for you, or in terms of the formal practice, it's things like sometimes devotional practices can, for, for some of us at different times in our path, are really important to uplift the heart. Chanting, bowing, getting together with people who love to do certain rituals, whatever, something that allows the uplift of the heart, whatever that looks like for you, being in nature, whatever it is, to know it, because the heart, um, if we can cultivate the joy, and it can be cultivated, even if it doesn't feel like it's really part of our, what we already came with, can be cultivated, um, Gosh, where was that sentence going? <laughs> no idea. Anybody else got an idea where that sentence was going? Yes, knowing about knowing what way you find your joys. So ah, you yeah, so you can cultivate it. And the joy is part of what makes the practice go more easily. Right? If it's a quality we may not know much about yet, can be cultivated and it supports the practice going more easily. It doesn't mean we always have joyful mind states. It means that there can be a lightness of touch that we can start to bring to our most difficult territory and our lovely territory. So practically speaking, there are ways we can cultivate joy and maybe I won't speak about that tonight, but at the end of the retreat, this skillful practices we can do to support the joy. So, just a little reflection on some of the things here that may bring you into a contact with the quality of joy. And remember to really open your definition up. It's not always, it's not always the joy of the child. It may have that, but can be very, very, very subtle. So we have to have the lens open so we don't miss it also, as it reveals more of what it, what it is. Um, there's the joy that, in the teachings, very formally, you can see in the teaching of the seven factors of awakening, seven qualities... Um, that are part of our nature, that get cultivated along the way, 
and are also part of the awakened mind. Right? So mindfulness is one of them. Right? And if you are, and as you probably all know, if we're really mindful and attentive to something in an open way, but in a, in a clear way, taking a step on the earth, touching the tree, one of the qualities then that arises, so, so with mindfulness as a basis, one of the things that can naturally arise is investigation. Right? You get more interested in that. Have you, know, you, know, you see that. You hang around with the blade of grass long enough, you want to kind of look at it and you know, kind of pick it up. And, right? The investigation arises. So these are natural things that can be brought right into the meditation. With investigation as a basis, when we're really looking into something, joy can arise. Right? The joy of the discovery, like I was talking about before. I have a friend, a good friend, who's a, a serious practitioner, and she has a muscular dystrophy. It's practiced a lot here. It's very, very debilitating, physically debilitating. And um, she's been practicing a very long time, and she told me um, that she came from a family where the, 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 the joy was in real physical things before her illness evolved. And they used to sail. They did sailing in that family. And um, she said, that's where the joy would arise, on the boat. There you are on the boat. And I don't know, I don't do it, but... She would describe it standing on there. Sometimes you'd have the steering wheel. And the, this kind of, um, she said, the movement, the responsiveness. So in a way, what was happening, there's my, you have to be mindful if you're in charge of a boat, right? You don't have to work to be mindful. You just are, right? Mindfulness is there. The interest is there to be there and the investigation and the joy. The joy isn't actually about the boat and the sea. It's not apart from the boat and the sea. The joy is arising in the mind. The quality of the mind has been supported to be really attentive, really attuned, really here, and joy is something quite natural in that case. And she said that um, in her, as her illness developed at about 18, I think, and, you know, of course that shook her whole sort of view of things. But many, many years later, she says with practice, she saw the exact same parallel happen. She didn't sail anymore, but she, what she saw as she did walking practice, or she said, or washing up practice, because with her illness you have to be really, really slow or you fall over, right, at the point she is. And she said she would um, take walking as an example. It's very beautiful how she said it. She said, right, so I, have, I start my walking, and she has sticks. And she said, I start my walking, and I have to be right there. Right, so mindfulness is not, it just has to be there. I'm mindful, I take a step, and, and I land. She says, and after a while, the interest and the investigation begin. And from the outside, you know, she's a little wobbly, and people have all their views about someone who's got that illness and, you know, what that means. But the, on the inside, she said, she stays with it. She has to stay with it. She said, and this joy, this joy of just being, arises, this joy of just taking the step. And it's the same that she knew on the boat. And it's beautiful that it's the mind that feels, it's us that are the joy, 
It's not the sea. It is the sea. But it's us. These things are so close to us that we miss them all the time. We're looking for something else, usually. She reminds me of an, a, a touching story I heard in North America of um, in the 50s in a hospital there. And I don't know if this is, this is still the medical treatment for this particular illness um, where somebody had to be for their whole life in an iron lung. Have you heard of that? You, you're in this machine the whole time. And your head is above, but you're basically in the machine that's supporting you to breathe, I guess, right? Homeo. Okay, and do, is it still the same treatment today? No. no. Okay, it's, it's, open. it's progressed. Right. <coughs> so this is from the 50s. And there was this one man, I think it was, who'd be, he was kind of in a hallway. It wasn't even in a ward anymore, really. It was this sort of passageway. Um, and the doctors and nurses would come by year after year. And this guy got more and more radiant, apparently. I'm sure it's not the case for everyone. I don't want to make it sound like it's... Uh, it, it, Anyway, this guy was radiant. And, um, I mean, you can probably imagine what it would be like for you to walk past that person and what ideas you might have about the quality of their life, right? And people started to notice, and they said, well, how do you stay alive? How can you bear it? How can you, how can you still keep being alive? And he said, every day about four o'clock a nurse comes and opens that window up there and I feel the air on my face touch my face and he said and it brings such joy it brings such joy oh. it's our nature part of our nature. There's the joy of... Any of you experience the joy on retreat? or not even not on retreat, but here it's sometimes more obvious where your view of things, how you always thought things were, starts to shift. And it can be scary at first, like, oh my goodness. Or, but as the view, the a limited view, starts to open about anything, about ourself, about my emotions, about what I thought I was, it starts to open a little bit, the view. Does it make sense when I use that mm. language of view? Yeah, mm. yeah. You know, because right view is at the beginning of the path. Our view basically is a wrong view. So, of course, when we practice, it opens up more. Our view of the nature of things. View opens, there's more space. More space, there's more freedom. There's more freedom for what? There's more freedom to be. There's more freedom to just be. And there's a, I'll read you a story. Some of you have heard me. It's a little indulgent of me because I really like it. And it's a story of a Taoist master living alone in a small hut in the woods. And stories circulated in the nearby town as to this man's unusual behaviour. So a Confucian delegation was sent to go and check him out to see if all was in order. 
So you can imagine this kind of peculiar yogi in his hut and the kind of local delegation comes up. As they came to knock on the door, the leader of the delegation saw through the window that the Taoist master was sitting alone, cross-legged on the floor with no pants on. <laughs> this American translation, don't get too excited. <laughs> with no pants on. Horrified, he didn't wait to knock, barged into the hut and exclaimed, what's going on here? This is a disgrace. What I want to know is, what are you doing sitting in this hut with no pants on? And the Taoist master looked serenely up and replied, Who says that this is so? In fact, from where I'm sitting, this whole world is my hut. This hut is my pants. And what I want to know is, what are you doing in my pants? <laughs> it's like sometimes the view opens. <laughs> We don't all see the things the same way. <laughs> we don't all see things the same way. Our view conditions the way we see. Our view. If you look at the factors of the Noble Eightfold Path, view conditions intention. Whatever our view is, it conditions our thought. Thought conditions action, action conditions speech, livelihood, etc., etc. What's your view? What view are we limited by? And what views start to open? What limits start to open there? There's more space. And, and actually one of the things that comes there often is a lot more lightness, more joy, more humour. There can be some joy arise when the inner critic is less active, right? So it's not just about um, it's at any level, any point that something that has been limiting us starts to be seen, even just a little bit. We get a glimpse, a taste for the more room, more space, more lightness. Um, the freedom when we recognize that there's not something wrong with us at all. The view that many, pernicious view that many of us have. That there's the freedom to be exactly as we are. And this is um, Hafiz, and he uses the language of God. And if you don't like that, you can beep at that part called The Place Where You Are Right Now. And you can imagine it as if he's speaking to you, if you like. This place where you are right now, God circled for you on a map. Wherever your eyes and arms and heart can move against the earth and sky, the Beloved has bowed there. Our beloved has bowed there, knowing you were coming. I could tell you a priceless secret about your real worth, dear pilgrim. But any unkindness to yourself, any confusion about others, will keep one from accepting the grace, the love, the sublime freedom divine knowledge always offers to you. 
Never mind, Hafiz, about the great requirements this path demands of all wayfarers. For your soul is too full of wine tonight to withhold the wondrous truth from this world. But because I am so clever and generous, I have already clearly woven a resplendent lock of his tresses as a remarkable truth and gift in this poem for you. This place where you are right now, God circled for you on a map. It's the, the teaching of no error. No error about where we are, actually. Mm. And practice, yeah, it's another piece of paper. So to know what brings us joy, and again I hope I'll speak to that before we leave the retreat, but to know what brings us joy. In the monasteries and um, some places of practice, you know, the daily reflections, the daily chanting, the daily reflections on the Dharma, for example. You know, that I think I named some of some of them the other day, the um, like the Dharma here and now, inviting investigation, leading onwards to be experienced individually by the wise. These reflections on what's possible, the reflections on what's true, can bring delight to the heart. It's like, yeah, something in us goes, yes. It doesn't always have to feel awestruck. Sometimes we do. It can be very simple, yes, an alignment with the truth of things. So the joy in coming closer to the truth is one of the pri- is is really what delights delights our heart. Really, what delights our heart. Somebody asked um, one of the senior teachers in our lineage. They said, "You know what? What stage of awakening are you on? You know, you're on the first stage, second stage, third." Stage. And he said. I don't know. And they said, what do you mean you don't know? You've been practicing 40 years. Are you, are you there? Are you there? Are you there? He goes, I don't know. They said, well, have you had any benefits from your 40 years of practice? And he said, yeah. He <laughs> 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 what? He said, well, I take myself a lot more lightly. I take myself a lot more lightly, which is different from not taking seriously our path and standing behind ourselves. But something about taking ourself lightly, ourself, the way self configures, we start to get more and more trust and experience that this, that of what's constructed and what's not. Actually, that brings joy. We don't have to be fooled by our own <laughs> adverts, for one thing. You know, the adverts in our mind that we're the greatest, or our own. Um, belief in our deficiency it's like oh yeah of course that's what minds do and as we treat that and hold that more lightly with ex- from experience from direct like verified faith we see that whole thing happen ah oh, there's a lot more room to breathe a lot more a lot more space a lot more lightness <coughs> so in that case it's the emptiness of self seeing emptiness of self brings joy 
actually. What has one teacher said? I told this to Ruth the other day. He said, Empty, empty, empty. Happy, happy, happy. <laughs> right? Like, ah, that's what that's pointing to. More room for the joy. So I'll end with this piece that I for sure wanted to tell you. And I've So this is from one of my teachers, Ajahn Sachito, who's the abbot of a monastery in Sussex, Hampshire border. And um, in defense of the first piece, first sentence, he's a very bright, smart guy, but he, he's making this assertion in the first sentence. Let's see what you make. And then there's a whole paragraph, and just sense if you can, you, you know this, or what it's pointing to here and now. Remember the Dharma is always here and now timeless, inviting investigation. It's available for us right now. So he says, <clears throat> there is no real learning on the, just on the intellectual level. There is only a kind of learning that we do when we have the humility to recognize that really the learning part is when we go to the edge of where we know and where we control. And the nobility of our life, the nobility of our purpose, the aspiration of our life says, keep going. Pass the area where you can't control it anymore and trust. For me, this is the heart of devotion, the heart of faith, the heart of surrender. Not a surrender of responsibility, but a profound recognition of what the responsibility of this being is. To live in accordance with truth, to honor truth and to trust the truth of our life as it is. What lies beyond me and control and the sense of self is the joy of the deathless, the joy of the boundless, the mysterious vastness of life. What lies beyond me and control and the sense of self is the joy of the deathless, the joy of the boundless, the mysterious vastness of life.
So I just want to name <clears throat> one huge omission in the talk of the joy of of the meditative states. It's a whole talk I could devote just to that. I just want to put that there too. <clears throat> 